Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. Very special edition of the Peristyle Podcast. I'm going to do this one solo. I am your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. And this is the Peristyle Podcast. I'm actually down in Dallas, of course, USC. Just a couple of days plays the Alabama Crimson Tide over in Arlington, Texas. So I'm in downtown Dallas right now. Uh, Right now, actually, it's Thursday. The show's on Thursday. I wanted to get another show in before the game. We only had one on Monday with Coach Harvey Hyde. It's been kind of a crazy week, so I apologize for that. Keeley's traveling. Shotgun's working. I know Dan Weber's heading over to USC practice, so thought I'd do a solo podcast just from my hotel here in uh, lovely downtown Dallas. I just got here this morning and uh, trying to, you know, I'm going to meet up with a high school friend and, you know, do a few things in Dallas before the game, so it should be interesting. I'm actually scheduled to get a uh, tour of the of Cowboy Stadium, so that should be fun too. Uh, but if you have any questions for us on the show, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can leave a voicemail a couple different ways by calling 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and you can click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail that way um, from your computer, your mobile device, anything. And if you want to find us on iTunes, you can subscribe, you can uh, leave us feedback, uh, leave us a rating, go to itunes.com slash Podcast. We are also on Google Play, we're on Audio Boom, where we're hosted, uh, we're on Stitcher Radio, a lot of different ways to get a hold of us and consume the show. And we do appreciate everyone um, writing in or calling in and talking USC football with us here on our little show, the Peristyle Podcast. So, all right, so it's finally game week. Uh, we talked a little with Coach Harvey Hyde on Monday. Uh, you can get all our past episodes on peristylepodcast.com or, of course, uscfootball.com, where they where they exist. Um, but, yeah, and I get a lot of questions about what do you think about the game. And uh, my dad was just texting me about what was going on. He's like, hey, what's the scholarship situation like? Um, and, yeah, it's a big topic. Everyone's talking about it. And uh, I've done a whole bunch of radio on this subject, uh, a lot of – Alabama radio stations, it's still different in the South. Uh, sports radio, they talk college football, where in L.A., it's uh, not as much. It's I mean, there's so much more about the Rams or Dodgers or Angels or Kings, whatever. It's a more of a professional town, as you know. Not as much uh, game talk as far as college football goes. Um, but in, in Alabama, I mean, that's all there is. That's all they're talking about is college football. So I was a guest on many different shows down there in the deep south and it was fun to kind of talk some USC football and I thought I'd give you my thoughts on the game before we get into this and uh to me it's Alabama is a well-oiled machine now they they definitely have to replace some some bodies uh you know Kirby Smart a defensive coordinator but this is because it's a well-oiled machine you've seen them do this with new quarterbacks or new running backs or new coordinators and Nick Saban's got a proven system and it's worked time and time again 
Um, I mean, they went to the national championship game the last two years with brand new quarterbacks. So um, they, they've proven that they can do this. So for me, looking at Alabama, it's more of a proven commodity. That the range of which what Alabama can play in, I think, is much, much tighter than the range for USC. I think USC is a very, very talented team. We are seeing the numbers much closer to what they were pre-sanctions. Uh, 81 players, by my count, uh, on, and you can look at our scholarship distribution chart up on uscfootball.com, and we kind of uh, we'll lay it out for you. 81 players that were recruited athletes that are on scholarship, four more former walk-ons that were given scholarships. So that's a big deal. I mean, that's 85 guys on scholarship, only four of them being former walk-ons. I think that's a really big deal. The depth, if you look at this team, is much better than we've seen the last couple of years. Even the last time Clancy Pendergast was around, they ran a defense that had 12 or 13 guys in the rotation. Now that can be much deeper if they want. There's much more uh, able bodies out there for USC, um, you know, know, especially on the defensive side of the ball than what we've seen before. It's going to be more of a – it's a deeper team, and it's a really talented team. And Alabama, when they line up, they're one of the – you know, there's really only two teams in the country that typically average – over a four-star recruit in their recruiting classes. Now, USC's had smaller recruiting classes, 15 players, 17 players, things like that because of the sanctions, but they still would always average over four stars uh, per player. Alabama does that too. I, really, no one else does. Maybe you see someone every once in a while do it, but for every you know year in and year out, it's USC and Alabama getting the highest average star rankings, which doesn't mean anything. I mean, it, it means something, but it's not doesn't mean everything, I should say. Um, but when Alabama's playing a team, any team on their schedule, uh, usually they just have way more talent. And, you know, an LSU has a bunch. Um, there's, there's certainly a lot of talent in the SEC, but you don't have five stars up and down the roster. USC and Alabama do. Those are, that's kind of a unique thing that both of those schools have. I mean, there's three former five stars in the USC secondary alone um you know a lot of teams in the pac-12 and other conferences don't have three five stars on the whole roster or one um so it's to me this isn't going to be as much of a talent thing um for usc it's more of a coaching thing and it's i'm not taking a slight you know i'm not you know taking a knock at clay helton or trying to slight him in any way to me um He's a rookie this year. And I talked to some people like, no, it's his second year. He's been the head coach, uh, you know, 10 games. He's six and four over uh, the two the two years that he was, you know, interim. And then last year, two games as permanent head coach. Um, to me, I don't look at it that way. Is it? Yeah, he, he had the keys to someone else's car and drove it 10 times. Um, this is the first time he's got his own car. Is it that different of a car? I mean, you could, there's a lot, you know, there's, there's differences though. I think it's, it's different. I think when you run the whole off season and the plan is yours and you're not anything legacy, you could have got rid of. Um, and he could have, and, he, and I think he did for a lot of stuff. So this is really his first team. But to me, there's so many more variables on the USC side. And you've seen the same team. You can see the same team play 10 days in a row and play 10 different ways. So that's what I'm saying in the Alabama side. I think those 10 different ways would be in a much tighter group than USC's 10 different ways. I think that's a wide range. 
And I think for USC to win this game, they have to play in the high, high end of that range. But the problem is you could see them playing in the low end of the range, and that's not going to be close. Like Alabama's just not going to play that poorly that if USC doesn't play really well, they'll be in it. So it's uh, but it's the variables to me, and there's a lot of variables because of new head coach, um, you know, new systems, new play caller, you know, new offensive coordinator. T. Martin has never called a play before. The first play he ever calls was going to be against Alabama. Uh, you know, Chuma Doga, I think he's a great player. His first start ever at left tackle, he didn't even start there in high school, will be against a really good Alabama front seven. Um, there's a lot of firsts like that where you don't necessarily think that's a, a great thing when you're going against, you're not going to play in Utah State first, you're playing Alabama, proven. Um, yes, they got stuff to, re- they're, they're, they got their own issues, they have stuff to replace. But we've seen it time and time again, it's a reloading situation. I think talent-wise, you can argue that with USC too, reloading, and they'll get back into the swing of it and and be rolling with talent and the best talent on the West Coast for sure. It'll be there. But this is not the first game you kind of want. So um, the the spread I've seen up to 12.5 points now, Alabama favored. Um, I don't think much would surprise me in this game, except uh, USC blowing them out, you know, beating them by two touchdowns or something like that. I could see USC winning a close one. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, it would be a little, maybe a little, but not. I, I could see that happening. I could see Alabama losing, winning a close one. But I could also see Alabama winning... Uh, in, in you know emphatic fashion and just if something like that happens it's not like wow that receiver was just way better than you know Calvin Ridley was so much better than Dory Jackson I don't think that's going to be the case it's going to be those athletes were put in a better position than the USC athletes and things got them out of hand things have got out of hand out of hand before in Alabama and they've been there and they've done that and they've done it on the road and they've done it on neutral sites and they've done it against good teams and have been able to bounce back any adversity that USC faces. I mean, this is really be the first time in Clay Hilton's career as the permanent head coach with his team and his philosophies and all of that wrapped into one. Everything that happens is going to be the, really the first time for him. You know, he's had some inklings before in the other 10 games he's coached, but this will all be on him. All those decisions he made in the off season because, Hey, we're doing this so we can get this kind of result on the field. Well, it's going to change because something goes wrong. Are you questioning those decisions? Where are you going now? I just, to me, there's just so many variables. And I think when you hire an inexperienced head coach, you're getting learning on the job. And you have to, because he hasn't done so many things before. Not to his fault, he just hasn't been in that position. USC is the, the program that hired him, and you realize there's going to be some bumps and bruises and, and growing pains along the way because he hasn't done it before. So I think, not by any fault of his own, there's going to be learning on the job for Clay Helton. And I think every coach and every player, you can learn something new. But I think Nick Saban has learned so much. I mean, he won five national championships at two different programs. The, what, the, the ceiling for what he can learn is a lot closer. Uh, there's a wide, I mean, there's so much like uh, Clay Helton can learn. And that's a good thing. But it's not a good thing when you're playing a team like Alabama. You would hope that you've learned some of that stuff already. Um, and he just hasn't. So that's kind of a long introduction there. So I'm not going to do a score prediction. Um, if I had to bet, I probably would 
I would probably take Alabama to cover this one. Um, doesn't mean, you know, like I said, I think a lot of different scenarios can happen, but that wide range, there's all kinds of stuff that can happen on the USC side. And if something kind of goes bad early, do you have confidence that they'll be able to right the ship and turn things around um, just because of all that inexperience? We'll see. Uh, we'll definitely see what happens. It's going to be an interesting game. We'll definitely talk about it um, next week. You know, whatever happens, it'll be interesting to analyze and kind of talk about uh, going forward. Hey, what, what did this mean? What did that mean? And really, to me, um, how important is this game? Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're able to win your USC, I mean, it's a hugely important game. If you're able to lose and it's close, it could still be very important. And even a blowout, how important is that? You can bounce back from something like that. But um, it, but that will be the big question. If it is an Alabama route, it's Clay Helton able to keep the guys and, and keep their attention and have them still buy in. Because if you got to play Utah State and, of course, Stanford and Utah on the road again, not easy. So almost more importantly to me of what happens in this game is how you come out of this game as a better football team ready to play the rest of the schedule, especially the Pac-12 schedule. Okay, so that's my little opening rant on the game. Um, I'm going to go through the questions, and uh, we'll talk. I'll just, I'll just talk. I think most of these will be Dan questions, and I apologize for not having him on this week. Uh, we are going to try to do some stuff, and it didn't, it didn't work out, so... Um, we will get, uh, you know, you'll get me <laughs> doing the questions. And of course, if you have any questions, email them in podcast at uscfootball.com. All right, we'll start off with John in Brea, California. He says, well, the Alabama game is finally here. And after reading the War Room and listening to the podcast all summer, I'm excited to see what this year's USC team looks like on the field. Thanks for getting us through the offseason. It's a question for Dan Weber, which I'm going to take. The top three things I'm excited to see with my own eyes are one, how the offensive line plays under Coach Callaway. Two, an athlete-for-athlete attacking style of defense. And three, Ronald Jones running the football versus the best defense in the history of the world, according to ESPN in parentheses. I'm wondering, uh, what are you most excited to see when this USC team takes the field on Saturday? Thank you. Fight on. Beat the tide, John and Brea. So uh, I like what you're saying here. Certainly, Coach Callaway, Neil Callaway, uh, what he brings to the table this is an offensive line that's had five different offensive line coaches over five years, underperformed, in my opinion, every year, even with some of the injuries, and we, we talked about that before. Uh, how do they play, especially with Chad Wheeler uh, out at left tackle or not starting at left tackle? He did you know, participate this week um, in practice, so he should be able to, to play with that plantar fasciitis. That's a good one. I really want to see, I think for to be successful, especially against Alabama, the offensive line has to play really, really well. And they have the talent to play really well. I like what Neil Calloway has done. Will they play really well? you got to watch. Um, what do these athletes do in the in the Clancy Pendergast defense? The attacking one-gap system, not a two-gap where you make a decision every play. One-gap going in, here's my job, here's my assignment, go blow things up. How effective is that? We've seen, you know, in 2013 when he, you know, obviously they didn't have as many guys. Um you know, playing 12 or 13 or whatever the rotation was. Um, they had some bad games, UCLA. They had bad games against Arizona State. Um, but I like the style much better, and I think it can get an overall defensive improvement. I do want to see, on the. I would add on the defensive line, the, the, the leadership that was brought in 
with Josh Fatu and Stevie Tuikolovatu and Khalil Rogers moving over, uh, how that impacts the bunch of sophomores uh, that will be contributing on the defensive line too. Um, certainly Ronald Jones, uh, he's going to definitely be fun to watch. I would say the in the passing game, couple of things. Getting the ball to tight ends down the field is very important. We saw it in the spring, summer, not so much in the fall. Does that come back? And then who is the the number two guy? Who steps up? Is it Deontay Burnett, who's come on like gangbusters? Is it uh, Darius Rogers? Is it uh, Stephen Mitchell? I mean, there's so many different guys, I think, that could potentially be the great number two uh, wide receiver. It just hasn't happened yet. So it's got to. In my opinion, you need someone to step up and be the Robin to Juju Smith-Schuster's Batman. So those are the kind of things I am looking forward to. And, you know, general stuff about how Clay Helton handles things now that it's his program and uh, how they bounce back from any kind of adversity that happens on the field. Big turnover. You saw like a, you know, turnover would happen in USC's favor and Lane Kiffin would be looking at his play sheet. That's not going to be Clay Helton. He's definitely going to be in there involved and all that kind of stuff. But when something bad happens to to your team or to your side, how do you guys bounce back? All right, uh, next one. If Los Angeles is successful in their bid for the 2024 Olympics, how would that impact the plans for the remodel of the Coliseum? Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't the stadium have to be restored to the original configuration that included a track? Thanks for the podcast for keeping Trojan fans up to date. John in South Pasadena, USC class of 1991. Um, there, now, there's still room for a track. And I think if the Olympics came, it's not like you'd have to do... I mean. The track they would put a track in there, from my understanding. I don't think the plans to remodel would change all that much. Um, I mean, it could it could have some sort of impact where they up the budget because they get the Olympic bid, and then they could change what they do to the peristyle end and not have that terrible uh, um, what do they call it, the sun deck and all that kind of stuff in there. So. But, you know, having some sort of mezzanine over there that you could, you know, standing room only, walking around, I think would be awesome. And you wouldn't impact the, the peristyle. That's what you don't want to screw up. Uh, would that impact how they could do a track? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, whenever that comes out, I think it could have some sort of impact. But I think right now you would have to have the track there. And I think they can, you know, they added those extra seats. I think that's stuff that you can uh, fix and still have a, a track in there. And, you know, there, obviously there's other stadiums around too. You can do things in, uh, I'm not sure what capacity the Coliseum would be included. Would you only want it for the opening ceremonies? Would you do other things in there? You know, we'd have to wait and see. Let's see. We have, this is a, uh, Phil from Hawaii. He said, Hey Ryan, just wanted to ask Dan, which you're going to now ask me, uh, if he could compare and contrast a difference in coaching mentality on this year's Trojan team compared to those of the past. In addition, any update on Vave's uh, status? Um, so the talk about the running back. Uh, we had, you know, uh, don't remember seeing him this week. He was in a sling at one point. I don't think there's going to be. I don't think he's going. I think he's just going to redshirt. So I don't think you're going. There's going to be any kind of rush to have him come around. Unless there's some injuries, but I didn't get. We haven't got a specific word uh, on his injury from Clay Helton for a while. Um, so sorry about that. But 
comparing and contrasting the coaching mentality on the defensive side, it's definitely different. It's more of a risk taking sort of defense. It's more aggressive. I'd mentioned that the, the one gap versus two gap thing. So just if you watch the defensive linemen um, under Justin Wilcox, it was a two gap system. It was, and I think his system really, he tried to adapt to what offenses were going to do. I think for Clancy Pendergast, they're going to do, this is what we do and let the offenses adjust to us. Um, so defensive linemen, they have a, a one-gap assignment where it's, if they're between the uh, center and the left guard, that's their gap. That's where they're going. Um, they're not making a decision. Am I going on this side of the, the offensive line ahead of me, the left side or the right side? That's two gaps. So there's one. So they have one gap. A lot more man coverage I think you're going to see. And if you remember last year against UCLA, as soon as we got off the field, as soon as we got you know to the, the interview portion, after the game, every defensive uh, back talked to us said, we played man like almost every play, and they loved it. So I think there's going to be, on the defensive side, uh, players having a lot more fun because they're going to do what they want. Now, will it be successful? We don't know, but I think you'll see that. And I think on the offensive side of the football, it's going to be less of the head coach running things. Clay Helton wants to be the CEO. So and he's certainly more of an adult in the room than, than you know, Kiffin and Sark were. And those guys were play calling um, or heavily involved. And, and you know, Clay Hilton won't be. So he's going to be delegating a lot more. And I think that, that'll be a pretty big difference. So thanks, Phil, from Hawaii. Hopefully I answered your question. We have another Aloha. Harold, who's a NorCal Trojan. He said, Aloha, Ryan, and podcast team. It's been a great summer, and I'm so relieved to have not heard about any scandals with coaches or players until now. With regards to Oso, what quote-unquote team rule could have been violated? Have you heard of any details you can disclose, or are they handling it internally? Everyone's pumped uh, for the return of college football. Thanks for the updates and analysis from practice. Fight on, uh, Harold uh, NorCal Trojan. Okay, so, yeah, so as you know, um, Oso Messina is, was practicing this week but not uh, he's not going to participate in the game. He's suspended for at least this game. And uh, I think it was a news station in Utah that ended up breaking the news, what it was. So there's two different investigations, one in L.A., one in Utah, um, sexual misconduct in nature. So that's, that's all we can assume. Now, USC's citing privacy laws that they can't make any sort of comment um, and talk about it. And so Clay Hilton was very uh, gracious with the media, saying, you know, I can't do this, can't do that. So um, no comment from USC. Uh, we will hear more of, uh, you know, what this is down the road, but it's not going to come from USC. It's going to come from the police investigation stuff and the reporters kind of surrounding that. So unfortunately, you know, he was, uh, you know, number two, well, sharing duties in the number two inside linebacker. Uh, certainly, I think this would hurt him. And he, you know, he was a five-star guy coming out of high school, but saw like Porter Gustin getting more playing time. Certainly saw Cameron Smith getting more playing time. This would have been a you know, good time for him to be able to break out. And because of this, he's not going to be able to, at least right now. And so being able to show what you could do against Alabama, I think would show the coaches a lot. He is not going to have that opportunity. So it's an opportunity loss for sure. And then it could be much greater opportunity loss depending on what happens with the investigation and, and him going forward. So we'll, we'll you have to stay tuned for that, but 
he is uh, not going to be playing against Alabama. We got Earl in West L.A. He said, I just listened to the Herbie Award Show and his final four picks. I have a lot of respect for Kirk Herbstreet, but he shut out the Pac-12 from his final four picks. Unlike Larry Scott, Herbie doesn't appear to buy into the Pac-12 strength of schedule as a significant factor in the final four decision equation. Does this selection committee view strength of schedule as Larry predicts they will, or do they focus strictly on win-loss record? Uh, thanks again for all you do, Earl in West LA. Um, I, strength of schedule certainly is going to come into play, but you have to look at it as, say, Alabama has one loss and Stanford has one loss. Just because you know they're going to pick Alabama over Stanford, so that's just that's just the way it's going to be. So you can I think the Pac-12 has to do a little bit more now. If it's a one-loss Baylor or TCU team versus a one-loss Stanford team, I think Stanford would get in by strength of schedule. But against an SEC team, I think the perceived strength of the SEC would trump whatever is going on. You know, Stanford playing a Kansas State. Or something like that. So I think it, it can certainly help, um, but I think the Pac-12 is in a, a poor position. Which team is elite this year? I don't know. Um, I mean, I think Stanford has the best shot of making the playoff. But if they get knocked off and lose a couple games like last year, especially losing to Northwestern, yeah, I don't think they would have a shot. So yeah, so they come out and lay an egg against Kansas State. No, that's not going to happen. Um, and if a dark horse team comes out of nowhere and goes 11 and one in the Pac-12 and ends up winning the championship game, like a Washington, even though they're getting some some buzz and some hype, would they be get in over a TCU or something that was one loss? I don't know. I mean, I you know we'll have to wait and see. The committee's going to weigh a lot of different factors. I think strength of schedule plays a factor, but it's not going to make up for. Uh, you know, a whole lost game or anything. I don't think a 10 and 2 Stanford team gets in over an 11 1 TCU, for example. All right, let's see. We have. I enjoyed Dan, Coach Hyde, and Gerard's comments, as well as your insights. Thank you very much. Uh, what are the chances that Randall Cunningham or All American High Jumper will play football now that the Olympics are over for four years? I've heard that he was a darn good football player, certainly has a size to play like his father. Also, are there any other track scholarship athletes who could play football? And could a track athlete have four years of eligibility when their four years of track is finished? Fight on, Dan, from the class of 1962. Um, haven't heard anything, not a word, about Randall Cunningham coming over and playing football. We can ask around. Hasn't come up at all, at least from the people I've talked to. And, you know, you hear about this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, for a track person, to a track athlete to play Football, we saw this happen with, um, now I'm blanking on his name. I was just thinking of it. Uh, but just recently we had it happen a couple of years ago. Um, and man, why am I, I'm totally blank on his name. But we'll do, what you will see is if you play another sport, like say you're playing basketball, you would have to participate for two years if you were on scholarship before you could come over and play football. Otherwise, you would count as a football initial counter. Um, so it's hard for that to happen. And track, you don't have a whole lot of scholarships and stuff anyway uh, going on there. And no, there's no way you could have four years of eligibility if you played track for four years and then come play football. Uh, your clock starts and you're 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 around. You could be around for five years with a red shirt and that's it. 
So it's not it's not easy. This this came up a lot more during the sanctions. Um, can you have a baseball player play football, or can you have this or that? It's like uh, no, pretty much for the most part, it's it's almost impossible to get this kind of thing. Uh, Tony Burnett is the is the uh, track player that came over and started participating in summer workouts. So so we have seen stuff like that happen but you start seeing them coming to workouts and things like that we haven't seen randall cunningham anywhere around the program so don't don't expect to get extra numbers from track anytime soon i just haven't seen it it, it it's rare or something like that happens and it was more likely during the sanctions when they really needed it Tarek wrote in has a strong number two receiver emerged in your opinion in my opinion no Tarek, uh no one's emerged um I think we've seen, like I mentioned, Deontay Burnett make some great strides, which is great, you know, great news for USC. I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, Darius Rogers has had good camp. I think it's been a little up and down for Stephen Mitchell. I think uh, uh, Daquan Hampton's had some some moments. I, th- I mean, there's there's guys that have had moments. Have they established them as the clear number two? No. And uh, there's been a lot of reps. Even though there's a lot of receivers, there are, have been a lot of reps because um, we've, you know, Juju hasn't done much. You know, he hasn't done a whole lot there. And I think there's a reason uh, for that. I mean, you, obviously, he's a superstar. You don't need him to be out there all the time. So it's given other guys some, some more opportunities. But no one that's pointed, you know, stood out to me and been like, I think it's that guy. Uh, that's going to be determining the games. And I think we've, we've seen a lot in practice over the last couple of years. But it was games that mattered, and games, it became the juju show. Will that continue? Uh, I don't think USC can have a successful offense if that continues. You need someone else to step in. So, all right, let's see. Uh, We're going to go to the Midnight Rambler in Maryland. He said, I was a member of the 1991 team as a walk-on, my only time as a player. Uh, For the most part, I'm grateful for the experience, but we were undisciplined had no guiding offensive philosophy. We went from Reggie Perry to Curtis Conway to Rob Johnson at quarterback. The coach, Larry Smith, rest his soul, has lost his touch and took every ounce of my talent to not get killed every practice by Michael Moody, Derek Deese, or Willie McGinnis. The loss of Memphis State, uh, we lost to Memphis State, but beat Penn State. I do remember that. Uh, Tony Sacco was the quarterback at Penn State. In short, we were highly talented. We were a highly talented hot mess and probably not worth commemorating at last week's tribute to Troy. Uh, I say all this to temper any anxiety people might have about Hayden and what type of year we might have. Trust me, I've seen worse. With all that said, I wait with enthusiasm for the first game and I'm optimistic that we will beat Bama. My question uh, is how confident are you that we can run tempo convincingly, even at the speed of Oregon? Midnight Rambler in Maryland. All right, um, yeah, so salute to Troy, just so what he was referring to. Usually they commemorate the 25th and 50-year anniversary teams. And uh, Midnight Lamber was part of that 1991 team that would have been co- commemorated. Um, it was not. It wasn't really about the team, though. It wasn't anything about the team. Uh, the decision came uh, down that they weren't going to do these anymore. You know, It didn't matter if it was a good year or a bad year. And I think a lot of that was the last two programs – the last two salute to Troy's terrible scandals came out of them. They wanted to cut it down and not have as many variables and bringing up a whole bunch of guys from 
previous teams. There's a lot of variables there. So that that's my opinion on what was going on there. As far as tempo goes, don't expect a lot of tempo from this team. I think there'll be times of it. It's no huddle, but it's not necessarily tempo. There's a lot of looking to the sidelines, things like that. So it, don't expect to watch Oregon. It's not going to be, um, you know, basketball on grass. It's it's just not that that kind of offense. And there could be situations um, where that happens, but for the most part, I would I would not expect that. Let's see, Andrew from Fontana, Fontucky. All right, Inland Empire guy. Sorry, Andrew, didn't mean to take a shot at your town there. Uh, he said, "Hey, Ryan and team, can't explain how excited I am for the football season. I have two questions." For either Ryan or Dan Weber, or you're going to get me. First, I just saw an interview you guys posted with Stevie T. His maturity is very obvious when he constantly mentions doing his job on the football field. And his wife, I can't wait to see him out there. How many years of eligibility does he have? I don't remember hearing about that during his transfer. He is a 25-year-old married player. He has one year. This is it. So he's a, he's a true graduate transfer. Graduated with one year of eligibility left. Max Brown graduated with two. Taylor McNamara, who came over, he's in his second year, graduated at Oklahoma. He had two. Most part, you usually have one, and he has one. Second, I've watched the first two preseason Rams games, and it's mind-boggling to see the NFL and the Coliseum. I've noticed that both games have been pretty full in attendance. Does USC receive any money they're bringing in per game? I've noticed that the proposed renovation budget is still at $270 million. Thanks, guys, and fight on. Andrew from Fontana. Well, so some of the um, modifications to the fencing and stuff around the Coliseum, uh, my understanding is that's paid for by the Rams. Um, the main reason being because there's NFL rules, security, and, and stuff like that. So how close uh, the people lining up to get into the stadium can be. Um, so they, they made some kind of changes that way. And, uh, you know, I have to look to see exactly what you know, USC's getting there's financial benefit of USC the Rams being in the Coliseum because USC controls the Coliseum. I don't know what the exact numbers are and stuff. I haven't seen that it changed the budget um, at all for the renovations. And uh, Dan wrote a lot of good stuff on that. You can you can kind of check that stuff out. But um, it's it's certainly there's some sort of financial uh, benefit from doing that. What is the extent of it? I, I'm just not really all that sure on that. You know, we'll see. It's, uh, I think they need to bump the budget up if they want to make a good renovation. I don't like the building they wanted to put like where the press box is and taking away all those seats. I don't like that they're not addressing the sun deck, some sort of thing on the peristyle end. I think you could do more, but they would need more of a budget. And uh, they don't seem to be going that direction as of right now. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Next, how do you think the Coliseum's turf will hold up when the Rams sharing the field? Is there an injury risk? Thanks, Eric and Duck Country. Um, I went to the second Rams preseason game, and there are guys out there fixing divots and stuff. There's only two weekends, I believe, where they're both playing at the same time, and USC usually plays first, or always plays first. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. You could always replace the turf and things like that. But... Um, it's it, it probably more of an issue, Eric, for the Rams than I think for USC. But it's definitely more wear and tear. We have Neil and Manila. How do you guys think the offensive line will perform against the disciplined and physical defensive lines of Alabama, Stanford, and Utah? That's the $64,000 question, Neil. And 
to be successful and to not go 0-3 of those games, I guarantee you this offensive line is going to have to play well. And uh, maybe, you know, they don't play well against Alabama. You got to bounce back and play well against Stanford and Utah. Um, a lot of eggs in the basket of Neil Calloway and how this offensive line is going to play, playing up to the potential of guys that you think are NFL offensive linemen. You know, you, you, you feel like there's a bunch of NFL offensive linemen on this line. Well, you should play like it and you should play well. And so I think, uh, do I think they will? I kind of think they do. I, I, I feel pretty confident that Neil Calloway knows what he's doing. Neil, uh, another Neil to Neil. Um, so I think they will play pretty well. If I'm wrong, um, it's going to be a long year because they need this offensive line to perform at a high level. I've noticed this year that the Pac-12 was excluded from the ESPN car wash, at least in the Championship Drive podcast hosted by Ivan Menzel. Oh, Ivan Mazel, sorry. Uh, do you know the reason why? I've noticed the other podcast shows that everyone has excluded the Pac-12 from their conference reviews. Is this a result of another idiotic move by Larry Scott? Um, so usually the Pac-12 coaches would go out to New York and they could be part of the car wash and all that stuff. There was a decision this year my understanding, you know, from Larry Scott, to have the Pac-12 media day correspond with the ESPYs. So there would be opportunity in LA with the ESPYs as opposed to having everyone out, you know, go to New York. So that was my understanding of why it happened. Um, I, you know, I don't usually watch a lot of those shows, so I did, it didn't really impact me all that much, but I did hear from some people like, hey, where's the Pac-12? And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, another one of those things where is the Pac-12 uh, being talked about as much as the other conferences? No, I don't think so. And I think a lot of that is, um, you know, I think a lot of that is because of the decisions being made by administrations, uh, the Pac-12, you know, administrators. Larry Scott being one of them. All right, we got Chris. So I'll do a couple more. I think my voice is kind of going. Let me see how long we've been going here. Yeah, 40 minutes. We can get a few more questions here. My voice will hold up. I'm down here in Dallas. Dan, two quick questions for you. Well, I'm going to take them. So sorry. First, during last week's podcast, uh, Dan mentioned that you might suggest to Clay Helton that he show highlights of the 2003 Auburn game to the team. I'm wondering if you brought that up with him and what his response was. His reaction would shed some light on how open he is to all sources of input. Yeah, no, that wasn't uh, brought up. I you know, that's, it's not really our place in the media. That's something that if we talk about on the podcast or we write a column on it and their people read it and want to do it, that's their own thing. But it's not our place to like, you know what I think you should do? You should do this or do that. Um, you know, if anything like that happened, it would be behind the scenes, certainly not in the media scrum. You're like, Hey Clay, you know, what? I think you should probably have the team watch this, uh, highlights from the 2003 Auburn game. Um, that's, for the media, that's not what we do, and uh, and and honestly, coaches wouldn't listen to that anyway. If they are listening to that, then they're probably not doing their job. I mean, they gotta they have to do what they feel is right, and you can get input from other sources, and and you can get if your people come and like, hey, you know, they were talking. We heard on the they have you know they're scanning the media. Dan wrote this column on blah 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 why this would they should watch the 2003 Auburn game. And I kind of, I was thinking about, it, I think that that's a good idea. So if it's something that they come to that conclusion because of something we said, that's one thing, but there's not be like, oh, they're, they're just waiting for us to uh, 
give them suggestions on how to coach this team. Not our job and certainly, um, you know, not, not what we're, we're here to do. Number two, around that time, this time last year, there were some hints from the Pac-12 network that they might explore an internet-based pay-per-game or pay-per-season model direct to consumers. That would be the only solution available to DirecTV subscribers like myself. Have you heard anything more about this or no? If it's something Larry Scott is serious about, as always, love the podcast, guys. Many thanks. Chris in Cam- Cambria, California. No, haven't heard anything on that, Chris, unfortunately. And my understanding is with the deals that the Pac-12 has with their current um, distributors, that would be a big no-no. You're basically undermining them. So I think that was that was the main issue is you can't really – anything you do like that or if you give DirecTV a better deal, you're screwing these deals you already put in, in place with some of the cable companies or AT&T U-verse, which I understand is going away. Uh, supposedly today, September 1st, uh, Verizon Fios is supposed to have Pac-12 Network. Now, I didn't see it. I, someone tweeted me and they said – um it should show up in your messages it didn't show up in mine um and so it's not verizon fios anymore it's, it's frontier uh fios they you know got bought out or whatever or sold that that part of it i am not i'm in dallas i'm not at home so when i get home i'll be able to check out and see if uh that actually did happen let's see uh this is i said okay so i'm an old-time trojan attending usc in the early 70s, during the week before the Alabama game, can you please ask Dan to talk about the national significance the game represented in 1970 when the two teams played? Uh, there have been several novels written about the impact of the game had on our modern society racially. I just purchased the book One Night, Two Teams, Alabama vs. USC and the Game That Changed a Nation by Stephen Travers. Interestingly, interestingly, I had the opportunity to attend a game in Little Rock, Arkansas, when SC played the University of Arkansas a few years later. Uh, that game had the same impact there, too. Ironically, my youngest daughter is a fresh woman attending the University of Alabama this year. Fight on from all of us Trojans tra- transplanted to Maryland from Los Angeles. Um, yeah, I mean, I think people are familiar with the story. And there's, there's you know, good books on the subject. Um, I think uh, a lot of... You know, there's been a you know it's a major impact uh, on college football from that game in 1970. And we've had Sam Bam Cunningham on the podcast before, and I think he was talking about it. Um, so you know, people know, and Bear Bryant wanted to wanted some help with the integration process, and they were it was coming, you know, it was it was starting to happen, but they needed a statement, and that statement happened. And it was funny that you know Sam's team. In 1970, they end up winning in Alabama, uh, losing the next year in 1971 in the Coliseum. Uh, but then 1972 was obviously when they kind of put it all together um, and made that happen. So, yeah, it's uh, I definitely, you know, we're not going to get into it too much here, but it's, uh, you know, it, you can Google it and get all kinds of good information. I, th- I think a lot of the people that listen to the show are, are familiar. And we've talked about it before uh, of the significance of that 1970 game. Nathan said, uh, oh, I'm sorry. So Nathan had the same kind of thing. He asked if, uh, mentioned about showing the highlights of the Auburn game. He said he would mention it. Just wondering if it, the chance for the response was, um, yeah, like I said, it wasn't, uh, didn't come up that, that I remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm wrong. I'll talk to Dan. You know, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll find out from Dan, but that's, 
usually not um it would have to be kind of a back channel sort of thing if he was going to mention that it's not really something you usually just bring up like oh hey you know what you should do here you should do this we got one last one and then we'll move on um actually actually there might be two here i've been reading alabama websites like rollbama uh Let's see some other ones. I think tight sport. Uh, the sports writers are worried about several things. Um, I don't think sports writers are worried. They're just reporting on what they think. He says the front seven is smaller than last year. Uh, so short at defensive back, they moved a wide receiver to play defense. Wouldn't think with all that quote unquote depth, they would need to do that. One of their best offensive linemen is banged up. We have a good chance to shake up the NCAA fight on Curtis from Marino Valley. Okay, so he's talking that if you read some of the, the reports from Alabama of things are going on, yeah, it's definitely a smaller front than last year. Like I said at the top of the show, Alabama's proven that they can move guys or replace guys. Tons of guys go to the NFL, and they have guys that have never played before that are former five-stars come in and do a good job. That doesn't mean it can happen all the time and, and always will, but they've definitely shown the ability uh, to do that. But yeah, I mean, I think if USC wins this game, then you're going to, some of those things are going to be factors where maybe you thought you could replace somebody from last year. Maybe Bo Scarborough isn't um, up to snuff and didn't run the football well uh, or whatever, or, you know, the quarterback situation is, is a mess and wasn't established right away and it takes some time. Uh, I think there's a lot of different factors on the, the Alabama side that would be guys that they're replacing. Uh, the bad news for USC would be they replace them with guys that are even better. And, and that's certainly that's certainly something that they could do and guys that even play better in those positions. Or on the other side, it's, you know, hey, they, they had a hard time replacing some of those guys that moved on to the NFL, and that's why they struggled a bit. All right, we have one more. Uh, Clay Helton seems to play pay a lot of attention to detail. Today I read the mock game week included staying Friday night in a hotel, team meetings, and a bus trip to a different off-campus practice location, very similar to a game week uh, Friday. I don't see how this kind of pre preparation can hurt. Can you tell me how much it really helps, uh, Earl in West LA? And Earl actually said this in the Coach Harvey Hyde, but I'll uh, I'll take it because we're not going to talk to him before the game. And post um, post game, it's going to be obviously a lot of talk about what happened in the game, not prep for the game. So, uh, no, I think, I think it helps. And that's something we've seen USC do in the past. Um, you're just trying to get guys acclimated and no surprises when, oh, wow, I got to go sleep in a hotel on Friday night. I mean, just you're doing things that will get them ready. I think it's, it'd probably be more detrimental to not do them than how much does it actually help? Cause I think it's something that everybody does and you're just kind of used to doing, but certainly I think it's, it's helpful. Is it a, does that make up uh, for a lot of talent on the team or anything like that? No, I mean, but it it certainly, it helps. And I think you're right, Clay Helton does pay a lot of uh, attention to detail. And um, that's what, you know, those are one of those details uh, that he was able to do. And had they had planned for a long time. We knew this was a closed practice for a long time. They had planned to do this. Uh, it was part of his plan going in and they executed it. And, and that's where we are. All right, well, that's going to do it uh, for the Peristyle podcast this week. Um, I will see there's a possibility um, to uh, get Dan on for one more show. 
uh, when he gets out here. So um, we'll we'll see if we can do one more with Dan. Uh, if not, um, you know, send in your questions post game. Of course, you're going to have a lot of them. Whatever happens. And we'll do our best to accommodate all those. But hope you guys enjoyed this solo edition of the Peristyle Podcast from Dallas, Texas, USC, Alabama on Saturday. Make sure you check it out. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 